Boss Uncaged is a weekly podcast that releases the origin stories of business owners and entrepreneurs as they become uncaged trailblazers. In each episode, our hosts, S.A. Grant and guests construct narrative accounts of their collective business journeys and growth strategies. Learn key success habits and how to stay motivated through failure, all while developing a boss uncaged mindset. Break out of your cage and welcome our host, S.A. Grant. Welcome, welcome back to Boss and Cage Podcast. On today's show, well, let me give you a little backstory to how I came to meet Mikkel, right? So at PodFest 2020 this year, I had the opportunity to be, to do a speaking engagement and kind of give some insight to what I do. And in addition to that, I offered up to help other podcasters with some growth strategy. Um, Mikkel was one of the people that won the opportunity to work with me. So offline, we had opportunity to kind of talk about his business, talk about his strategy, and just doing the research of who he is and what he represents and his products and his services. And he'll tell you a little bit more details of what that is, but I wanted to kind of bring him on the show because I haven't had a guest like this, and I think it'll be very powerful and influential to have someone of his magnitude on the show. So without further ado, Mikkel Del Rosario. How are you doing today, sir? Good, good. Thanks for having me on the show, Chanel. Great, great, great. So I kind of, you know, give you a little little fluff. I really didn't disclose who you are and what you do. So why don't you kind of give our audience a little bit of background of who you are? Sure. I'm Mikel Del Rosario, and I have a, a full-time position at Dallas Theological Seminary, where I'm the podcast manager and host of The Table Podcast. And I'm also doing a PhD right now in New Testament studies, focusing on historical Jesus studies. And that's part of my uh, entrepreneurial side, actually, is uh, I have a brand called Apologetics Guy, where I help Christians to better explain their faith with courage and compassion. So I do speaking. I have a curriculum that I make available to churches um, so that they can help their people uh, navigate difficult spiritual conversations as well. And so I'm kind of one foot in your, your regular nine to five, although maybe not a regular nine to five, because I don't know a lot of people whose full-time job is actually podcast management where um, they can do that full-time. Um, but I do that for our institution for Dallas Theological Seminary. And then I love speaking at churches and youth events and uh, helping churches with my curriculum as well. So this is get a little bit more on the, I mean, when you're talking about that particular niche, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, to, to, our, to the meeting that you and I had, you know, I made a mistake and I, and I called it a church. So why don't you kind of just explain, like, what is it that is actually done at that particular location? So Dallas Theological Seminary is a school where people go to get graduate education, to be counselors, to be pastors. Uh, I'm a student as well, and I'm studying to be a professor. Um, I'm also an adjunct professor. I teach at William Jessup University. I teach Christian apologetics, which is helping Christians to give a rational defense of the faith and better explain their faith to people. And then uh, and I also teach world religion for them. So the, the business, generally speaking, is education and training. And then my specific niche, if you want to drill down beyond just uh, the, the Christian community, is Christians who want to uh, think deeply about what they believe and have better spiritual conversations with people who see Christianity differently um, in a way that's, uh, that's not divisive, in a way that's, uh, that's actually attractive and, and healthy. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a unique niche, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you usually see more so um, the church's platform of revenue is completely different than what you're doing. You're, so just kind of go into that a little bit. So the differences between what you're doing and, and church. So 
what's the differences between the two? So for me, I'm just a, a sole proprietor. So I have a sole proprietorship apologetics guy as a registered small business here in Dallas, Texas, which I actually didn't have to do in California, but the rules are a little different. So when I moved over here, even though I was selling intangible digital products, I had to um, register as a small business. And so churches are nonprofit organizations. And so I'm, I'm not a, a 503C. Uh, so that's one difference. Uh, of course, churches have uh, generally, it's, it's donation-driven, donation-based. Uh, mine is, is a product or a service. People will uh, buy my curriculum online or they'll uh, give me an honorarium to come out and speak at their events. And so that's how that's, that's different. I'm kind of um, uh, a solopreneur in that regard. I did some missionary work for a while as well where I taught overseas at a college. And uh, that was is kind of like a hybrid between the two because I worked for a company, a, a nonprofit organization called Converge Worldwide based in Illinois. But I did have to go travel around America, public speaking at different events and churches and kind of generate the, the money, generate the donations to fund that project. So I've had a lot of experience doing uh, kind of in both worlds. I was a youth pastor as well in, in the Bay Area in California. So I know the church side and I know the uh, entrepreneurial side, gotcha. which is actually quite great for me when I first started my curriculum because I was like, what did I need, man? When I was a pastor, how, what did I need? And, and then I was like, oh, yeah, well, I'll just make that now. So people will, uh, people will be able to, to be helped by it. So essentially you, your niche is um, personal development to a certain extent. I mean, but you have a particular sub niche in that group. So you're not just hundred percent personal development. You're not just hundred percent um, religious based. You're, you're essentially a hybrid. And like you're saying, like you have a business model that helps you get that message across and also helps you with personal development. And also you have opportunity to kind of get into course development as well. So backing up a little bit, right? How did you get into this space? How did you get into this market? Well, probably the question of how did I get into Christian apologetics as a discipline, um, helping people defend or explain their faith, uh, was just started really with my own questions about my own faith. I was raised Christian, had a lot of questions about, you know, are there good reasons really to believe God exists? Are there good reasons to believe what the Bible says about Jesus? And if I get in a conversation with somebody who doesn't believe the Bible is a, is a, a warrant for them to believe anything, um, what do I say? And people would ask me questions about what I believed, and sometimes I don't know what to say. And eventually I found out there were a lot of Christians like that um, who just didn't really know what to say, and they, they wanted to get into spiritual conversations with their, their friends and family members who maybe saw Christianity differently, maybe from another religion um, or of no faith. And uh, they needed help because I needed help, and I know there are people like that as well. So I got a master's degree in Christian apologetics at Biola University. And I went overseas, like I said, I did some, some teaching there to help students with this, this whole area of, of knowing what you believe and why you believe it and how can we dialogue with people um, in, in a healthy way about our faith. And then, long story short, I got into a, a church where I was a youth pastor, and eventually I moved away from there, and I had no job. <laughs> and, you know, this is kind of like uh, a lot of entrepreneurs have this story, right? So, this, so you're sitting there with no job and you're bleeding money and you go, okay, so what can I do now? It's time to reinvent myself. And I go, hey, wait a second. I have this master's degree in Christian apologetics and I just kind of forgot all about it. And so how about I just reach out to some churches and homeschool groups and see if I can do some speaking and get to meet some people. I, I eventually, and here's a little bit of advice for anyone who wants to do public speaking, just get out and speak as much as you can totally for free, just, just get out there and do it. And if you're part of the Christian community in churches, 
uh, homeschool groups, things like that. That's really helpful. But I once drove up into this mountainous area to speak for $20 uh, in gas money uh, to a whole bunch of homeschool students. And while I was there, there was a lady in the audience who heard me speak and really liked what, uh, what I was doing and training the students. And she was connected to a megachurch in the area called Bayside Church in the uh, Sacramento area in California. And she got me connected with somebody over there that was running a very large, uh, like 3,000 person apologetics event. And so that's how I kind of got back into uh, public speaking after being away for a while and, and doing apologetics. And, and that's how I kind of started getting, getting known in the field. Um, and it just started from that, you know, just you never know how, how a, a small thing that you know you don't really know uh, is gonna is gonna blow up. It does sometimes. So, got it, got it. So I mean, just to you know, obviously this podcast is a diverse audience. So mm-hmm. define apologetics. I mean, what did, what is what does Webster say that is, and what's your definition of that? So apologetics is a technical New Testament term, and it's from from the Bible in First Peter three fifteen, and it's usually translated reason. It comes from the Greek word apologia, and so it is being able to give a reason for what you believe. So that the specific definition is that it's a, it's a sub-branch of theology that's about providing a reason justification for Christian truth claims. So it's kind of like, all right, so you can have faith. A lot of people have faith in different things, but, but why do you have faith? Um, are there any, any reasons beyond just, you know, it makes me feel good um, that, that uh, you believe in God or you believe that the Bible is, is a, uh, reliable when it talks about Jesus? God. Wow. wow, that's definitely a solid description, and you know, hopefully that, that our audience could kind of take that and 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 understand like your point of view of, of where you're coming from. So going back into the business side, of it, right? So you said that you kind of just reached out, so you already knew right away who your niche target was, and it seems like your niche target at the time was reaching out to church churches directly to do speaking engagements. Is that still your target audience currently till this day? Well, right now with COVID, there's not an awful lot of public speaking that's going on. Uh, this is the first, last summer was the first summer I haven't, I wasn't booked to do any speaking. I've been doing a bunch of Zooms actually. And so that's kind of where I see, at least for the short term during the pandemic, um, some of this training um, going into. But as I said, I'm also a professor at William Jessup University. So I teach online for them. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, online education is pretty secure right now. So that's, uh, that's been helpful. Um, so yeah, my my niche is kind of divided up into a few groups. One, just individuals who want to learn how to have better spiritual conversations and give good reasons for what they believe. And then two, church leaders and ministry leaders who want to um, help others to do that, but maybe they don't have an awful lot of time to prep. And that's where I have that curriculum that I created. It's called Accessible Apologetics. And then pastors or event organizers who want to book me to speak if they're doing live events or even Zoom events. And so they can go on apologeticsguy.com and see those three, three options for the three different groups that might hit my site. Um, yeah, so like with the curriculum, I was thinking, what did I need when I was a youth pastor? You know, and I'll just make that. And that's actually been, uh, it's sold really, really well, actually. I've put out a bunch of other products that didn't sell well, and then I just made them free after a while because it's like, here's another tip. If your products don't sell, just give them away because you know, they're not selling anyway. And you'll get, you'll get to help people, which is why you made them in the first place, hopefully. So, I mean, that's a good segue to, I mean, overcoming hurdles. So you're in a, in a space to where obviously in corporate America, they, they tried to separate 
religion and politics from a work environment or a business environment, but your business is associated directly in correlations with religion. Yes. So what hurdles have you faced on that journey, walking the line between the two? You know, I'm not really sure how to answer that question because I, I haven't faced a lot of hurdles in terms of uh, not being welcome in, in certain spaces um, just because of uh, my, my religious views. Um, so I would have to say none right now unless I thought really hard about it. So, I mean, are you, so if you walk into, are you walking into any church per se, or would they say, would you be able to walk into like a Buddhist temple and try to do a speaking engagement there or particularly a Baptist as far as the, the segregation of the nationalities of churches, are you, and have you done multiples or are you more focused on just one? Okay. Yeah. So Christian apologetics is directed toward helping Christians. At least my, my niche is directed toward helping Christians be able to engage with other people from other faiths. I haven't done any work actually going into um, another house of worship and, and presenting the Christian viewpoint, for example. Um, I guess the closest thing to that is I spoke in a bar once, which is pretty awesome. <laughs> um, I spoke in a bar while there was a baseball game playing outside and we had kind of a, uh, a private loft that we had rented out. And so that was interesting, but um, yeah, I guess that's the closest thing I've done to speaking in a, in a um, kind of a secular or non-Christian environment. Gotcha. Gotcha. So we always, this is the question that I usually ask everybody because everybody's um, origin story is uniquely different and their journey to success is uniquely different, right? So we always hear about the success stories that take 20 years to become a reality, but to the general public, it may have been perceived as an overnight success. How long did it take you to get to where you are currently? Yeah, pretty much about that, <laughs> that 20 years because uh, my, my field is generally speaking education. And so... Uh, you know, there are a lot of people who come straight out of college who are real excited about what they, they've learned and put out podcasts, put out blogs. But when you're, when you're operating in a space that can get kind of technical, especially where I'm talking about um, historical Jesus studies, using the tools of a historian to find out what can we all agree on about Jesus, regardless if you're an atheist or a Jew or um, any other faith, what can we look at the actual evidence and look at the Bible as historical uh, documents and just, you know, talk about them together as, um, as people from all different backgrounds. You have to have some education to do that. And so I did that master's degree in Christian apologetics, uh, graduated 2003. Then I did some student, well, it wasn't really student teaching. It was that missionary work, but I taught students over there uh, for a couple of years. And then when I came back, I did the youth pastor thing, started the apologetics guy brand. And uh, then I jumped into something called a THM, which is a Master of Theology. It's a 120 unit graduate program at the Dallas Theological Seminary. And that's where I, I focused on historical Jesus studies and decided I wanted to do a PhD on this. So yeah, it, took, it takes a long time um, because you have to have all, the, all those credentials behind you. And Lord willing, I'll be a doctor soon. And that'll just open up more avenues for me in terms of publishing um, in terms of uh, teaching at, at different institutions and things like that. Got it. Got it. So what's one thing that you would have done differently if you could do it all over again? On the one hand, the uh, doing the teaching in the Philippines took a couple years stateside to raise the funds for it. And then a couple years overseas to do the work. And so if I had just jumped straight into the, 
master of theology from that master's in Christian apologetics, I would have truncated four or five years off of uh, my path. But the thing is, I learned so much speaking at over a hundred churches around America and just the public speaking experience, the networking with uh, different pastors, uh, working with a nonprofit like Converge Worldwide. Uh, I was able to raise $250,000 for them through the speaking. And that just, that was just so helpful uh, when it came to launching out on my own and doing my own um, apologetics ministry because I had that background of how I knew how it worked in a nonprofit world. And then I was also a communications and uh, advertising marketing emphasis at Biola University as an undergrad. So I was able to take those tools as well and kind of put them together, right? So I always like to say that I think for Christian church workers, you need to have some kind of a side hustle because very few people in nonprofit work are getting rich off of what they're doing. And so if you want to have, you know, a comfortable living to take care of your family, um, you're probably going to need to supplement a little bit. And so I see people doing, you know, Sensi and like Advocare and like a variety of things like that. Um, but there's a way I would say to branch out off of your actual expertise mm-hmm. and help people in that niche, whether uh, no matter what institution, school, or church you're associated with, even if you leave those places someday, you can always take that brand with you. You can always take your expertise uh, with you. And so I recommend that. Wow. Wow. That's definitely some, some insightful information and, and to take to take heed to, to, to what you're saying. So uh, in addition to that, right, so on your journey, obviously you have a lot of education, right? You couldn't do what you're doing without the education. But in part of that, you're also, you're busy, you're, you're a business savvy person. The business savviness is definitely there. Do you come from an entrepreneurial background? Do you have entrepreneurial history before you jumped into that space? Yeah, you know, my parents actually uh, started a college in the Philippines. And uh, I would always learn things about how entrepreneurial my dad was. And he just wouldn't tell me certain things. Like one day we'd drive by someplace and he'd be like, that's where I used to sell refrigerators with your uncle. I was like, what? You sold refrigerators? <laughs> How come I didn't know about this? Um, and then just me, myself, when I was in high school, I grew up in the Philippines and there was a time we had no electricity, no reliable electricity in the main city, main capital city for, for a year plus. And so I started selling inverters, which are essentially truck batteries that can power a computer and power a refrigerator. I use one to power my guitar amplifier and, and, and an electric fan. <laughs> and uh, so I just kind of found, you know, what do people need right now? Um, how can I help my neighbors with, with this crisis that we're having? We all need some kind of way to keep our refrigerators running. Um, and so, yeah, I've always just been uh, entrepreneurially driven that way. And uh, I, I like the idea of serving people and putting a brand on it and uh, finding, finding where people need help and then fulfilling those needs. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I find, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on the show, because again, in in that um, consultation session that we had, I realized very quickly that you're not the standard perception of a pastor or educator or a minister or any of the definition of what those words are. And just now hearing a little bit more about your background and and you have a marketing and I was like, there it is. Like that, that was the extra edge. I was like, there's gotta be something else going on and then disclose it. So, so obviously I would think that being that your dad was an entrepreneur, do you think that was a part of the factor to your current success? Yeah. Yeah. He, he had, I mean, we had Christian theology books and things like that in the house, but we also had a bunch of marketing books. And I remember once when I was in high school, I, I went to the bookstore and I bought, um, I bought this marketing book 
It was by Al Rise and Jack Trout. Sure. It was called the, uh, the Seven Immutable Laws of Marketing, I think it was called. And somebody saw that at high school and they're like, what class is that for? I'm like, no, it's just for fun. Like, just for fun. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And, and, you know, when I was in college as well, um, first, first thing I ever bought on Amazon, actually, I was on Amazon. Uh, first Amazon purchase was in 1998, I think. And I bought a book um, called The One-to-One Future by Peppers and Rogers. And that kind of predicted so much of the mass customization and um, the, the whole like internet e-commerce thing that, that we just, we've seen. Um, so that was, that was almost like a, like a foreshadowing to me of what, what was possible. And it really opened my eyes and I got super excited about it. And I just now remembered that when I was in college, before there was Facebook, or, you know, I'm dating myself here because, you know, 98, I was shopping online in college, but I put together a little online community called Cyber Missions, and I helped connect students who wanted to go overseas and do humanitarian missionary work with organizations um, who, was, who were looking for people. And I was just kind of the middleman and connected them. And there weren't a lot of those kinds of nonprofits out in the uh, online world. And so, and so I did that. Yeah. So I learned all about domain names and all that way back in the day in 98 when, um, before the dot-com uh, boom and all that. Before it popped as well. Yeah. So, I mean, alluding to, I think if we go back maybe a couple of minutes in this particular episode, you were talking about essentially you raised funding, you said it was like 250,000. Yeah. I would think that that's a hell of achievement and, and success, right? In addition to that, that particular podcast, I mean, how many viewers do you currently have right now? Well, right now we're on YouTube and we're on um, all the audio platforms. So interestingly, our YouTube videos, all the YouTube videos have only 18,000 views, but the audio is over 600,000 downloads at this point. So it's a pretty broad reach. Um, honestly, stats are a, are a thing that, that's been difficult for me as a podcast manager to kind of wrap my mind around, especially since we have so many different um, platforms that we're on. Um, recently, we got on the Christianity Today network, and they're running ads on our show. Well, they're running ads for other people on our show, but they take care of all of, all of that. Um, and so it's all consolidated now with them. So I can do stats on audio, but there's still no good way to pull YouTube stats in along with that but yeah it's it's a, it's a pretty large audience and so we're we're mindful of that as we uh produce our content yeah i think you're definitely being modest right i mean you're talking about six hundred thousand, right you're talking about you raised two hundred and fifty thousand, and you're talking about you also have figured out a way to monetize your podcast all three of them are great feats by themselves and coming from like a podcast background and marketing background and to your point Juggling all these things is not an easy task. Either you have to have mm-hmm. multiple hands on deck, multiple software, and you have to kind of keep everything in alignment. So to think about these are three major goals that you've achieved, and how long did it take you to achieve those goals in this current market sector? Well, that twenty years that you were talking about was pretty much it. Yeah, for so it took you to twenty. Well, let me talk about like podcasting is, is, has been around essentially well close to twenty years, right? So how long has a podcast been live? So the podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary went live October 2012. And I came here to Dallas to do my Master of Theology in the summer of 2012. And by the end of that semester, I had made contact with my mentor, Dr. Daryl Bach, who's one of the um, historical Jesus experts. 
and I um, asked him if he would be my mentor. And I just boldface asked him if he would be my mentor because I love what he's doing in terms of being super respected in the scholarly world, but also being able to speak to the popular world and the popular audience. And he gets on uh, different uh, shows like ABC and um, you know Fox News and kind of mainstream places will will call him when they have uh, comments or that they need for for religious topics. And so I wanted to be mentored by someone like that. So he started the show and it was just him who was hosting. So I started as an intern with him, um, just kind of helping to do show notes and time coding and things like that. Well, eventually then I got hired on part-time and then eventually full-time. And eventually he invited me to be one of the hosts of the show. So that really is, is how I got involved in podcasting is uh, first managing the show and then being a host on it as well. Gotcha. So, so in the, in the last eight years, you've climbed the plummet multiple times to, to get to where you are. So, I mean, that's just proof in the pudding. I mean, obviously with your background, with, with the understanding of the technology and understanding your target audience, you were able to create something that, you know, potentially could live on for a long period of time. I mean, it's one of those, and I've listened to a couple of your episodes and it's, it's not the typical religious finding yourself episode it's more it's now it's more mm -hmm. contemporary so in writing do you guys write scripts do you kind of just have formal questions because based upon the content that i've heard it's influential for anybody whether you believe or you don't believe mm -hmm. to be invoked to at least listen to your podcast mm -hmm. well i appreciate you saying that yeah we talk about our tagline is we discuss issues of god and culture and so we talk about not only Christian apologetics and theology and kind of church topics, how do you, how do you uh, lead a church, but we also talk about, uh, we talk about politics, we go there, we talk about how do you engage uh, with LGBT community, how do you engage in the abortion discussion, um, immigration, race, uh, we go there, uh, because we, we're convinced that theology and God apply to all of life, and if uh, the Bible really is true. It's going to speak to to every part of your life. And so what I do, sometimes it depends on the guest. So if the guest is an author and I'm basically walking through their book, then it's pretty simple. I just read their book or skim through and find like the main things I want to ask them. Um, if it's more of a topic and we're not interviewing an author based on their book, then I'll put together a panel. I just did one on Generation Z and mental health and so we kind of go through our Rolodex and think, first of all, who do we have association with who's already been on the show or who we know personally, one of us hosts. So we actually have four hosts on the show. Uh, Daryl Bach, my mentor, myself, Kimberly Cook, who is our senior administrator here at the Hendricks Center, and Bill Hendricks, who is our director of leadership here. And so we'll put a panel together. So I had uh, somebody who does campus ministry working with InterVarsity uh, at SMU. I had somebody who is a counselor for teens, does mental health work with them, and then somebody who runs a gap year program doing the kind of thing that I do, but on a, on a large scale training students uh, to think more deeply about their faith before they go into college. And so, yeah, really, and she was even talking about, the counselor was talking about how people uh, in the Christian community are, are responding and then how people outside, the teenagers she sees outside, how, how they're different. Um, and one of the insights she said is that uh, Christian teenagers seem to have more affinity groups that they can be a part of, youth groups and things like that. And a lot of the um, 
students outside the church that she sees, they don't have as many affinity groups. And so it was interesting for her to just kind of share her experience, at least with her, uh, with her clients and some of the major trends that she's seeing. Hmm. Interesting. So just dive a little bit more into you personally, right? Um, how do you juggle your work life and your family life? Well, I'm blessed that my family actually is, uh, well, my wife is an introvert and she loves to read. And so she needs her, her personal time. And uh, my son is a typical teenager. So he, he lives a lot of his life, especially right now during our, our COVID days on Xbox. So I actually have a lot of time to uh, get done what I need to get done. And uh, I'm really the, the most extroverted of the whole family, I think. So um, that has a bit of challenge. Uh, so what I'm able to do is to kind of, I decided early on, it's kind of like you go to work, you have one boss, you do your one thing, right? It's like, what's my boss want me to do? And you do it. When you're an entrepreneur, especially when you have a variety of income streams like I do, I'm an adjunct professor at a school. I have a full-time position here at Dallas Seminary. I have my entrepreneurial uh, apologetics guy project. Um, I also work for Pearson Education, in which uh, I facilitate a course for them as well in Christian worldview. Instead of thinking like, well, now I have you know, three bosses or whatever, I kind of look at my whole life in a holistic kind of way. I also have my PhD, so in that sense, I'm kind of my boss there too as far as I need to get my writing and research done. So I just think of it as, as a variety of buckets in an overall arching uh, focus of my life right now, which is generally speaking to help Christians better engage culture and defend the faith, explain their faith with courage and compassion. That's the overarching narrative of everything I do. Gotcha. Whether it's the, the high-level academic stuff, whether it's the uh, entrepreneurial stuff on my, my personal side, or if it's the day-to-day the -day work that I do teaching students or um, working on the podcast, uh, it's all just, it, it's, a, it's a holistic thing for me. Gotcha. So, I mean, you, you, just, you just really pretty much described is that your niche is one thing under the umbrella and you have multiple tentacles, but all these tentacles feed into that one core yes. niche. You always come back to that core value, which is great. Mm -hmm. That way you're not diversifying. You're not stretching yourself too thin. Everything you're doing is for the same common goal. Right. And, and I'm, not, I'm not going off into, oh, now I want to start an unboxing channel and start reviewing laptops just because it's lucrative, right? Um, everything is, is singularly focused. But the beauty of that is that they all work together. Mm -hmm. So I'm able to take uh, table podcast material and use it for my apologetics guy side. I'm able to take... Uh, a curriculum that I wrote or a speech that I gave at an event and use it here at the seminary. And so it, it helps both ways. Gotcha. Gotcha. So um, what, what are your morning habits, your morning routines? Well, that's not really a very, it's not very interesting. If you uh, basically I wake up, I'm not really a morning person. So I like to stay up late. So I wake up and uh, grab a banana or something and head off to work. But when I get into my office, I guess the first thing that I do, which has been helpful, and I've been doing this for years, is I have a whiteboard. And I've tried apps and things like that for to-do lists. But I just find it really helpful to, on the whiteboard, put what are my priorities today. And then once I write them all out, I'll put hours by them. Say, well, it's nine o'clock right now. So at 9.30, I'll do this. At 10.30, I'll do that. 11.30, I'll do this. And admittedly, things will happen and I'll get sidetracked. But then I just come back and reassess after lunch, erase all the, all the numbers, put the hours back on, and then bust it out. So that is just something that's helped me. 
um, to, to be able to look back up at that whiteboard when, when my email box is constantly getting emails in it and, and things are coming at me to look back up at the whiteboard and say, okay, what's priority right now? All right, I got two hours left. What's priority? Hmm. Get this done. This other stuff, I'll do it tomorrow. So what time do you usually wake up on average? 7.30 or 8. Gotcha. So do you wake up around 7.30 or 8? What time does your day usually end? What time do you usually turn off? And, and it seems like, if I may assume a little bit, right? It seems like you're a type of individual that even when you're sleeping, you're probably still thinking. <laughs> that is true. In fact, last night I had a dream about making YouTube thumbnails because of what you talked to me about, <laughs> which is rebooting that YouTube channel. Um, so I want to tell you that I check out about, about 11 o'clock at night and just chill for an hour, watch some Netflix or I'm watching, um, I'm watching the walking dead world beyond right now. So that's kind of cool. Um, but last night I didn't want to watch anything. I started making YouTube thumbnails. So it's, you know, I'm the kind of guy who like to rest, I'll, I'll design something like that. Right. Um, yeah. So sometimes that is, uh, that's restful for me as well. It's just creative. It's just fun. Gotcha. And it goes back to your marketing background. I would think that that's kind of something to fall back on when you don't want to think about the business side of things. So. Mm -hmm. And it breaks stereotypes too, to be, to be this uh, kind of academic, be seen as like an academic type where I know that the academics is necessary so that I can have something of substance and content to help people with. But that's not really where I nerd out and get really excited about it. Um, I get, if I do get excited about it, it's because I go, wow, I can share this with people in an accessible way that people can get. And there are academics who kind of look down on the word accessible, like, oh, you're so accessible. You know, you're just kind of dumbing it down for the populace. But that's what gets me excited, actually, is to take something that, you know, might be a little complicated, bring it down to where bottom line, it can help your, your everyday average person sitting in the church pew, and they don't have to be an expert in this or that. But if you can explain it to them, you know what you're talking about. And it can actually help people instead of just sit in your mind. And, you know, you think, oh, I have this cool thought. Um, and it can, you can actually see that helping people. And that's, that's a rewarding thing. Yeah. I think that's, that's one of the things that, that you're saying it now, but I visually, and, and I also audibly hear it when you're on your podcast, like you're, you're taking these grandiose topics and you're making them small enough and comprehensible enough that way anybody layman could understand them and then make a decision based upon that information versus trying to look at the big picture and trying to swallow mm -hmm. them at once. Mm -hmm. uh, I definitely, uh, commend you again for your podcast just 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 the way it's it's set up is i think it's definitely going to be a fruitful thing to kind of continue to grow and expand well thank you uh, so where do you see yourself in 20 years wow well without saying my current age right now <laughs> well in 20 years i would like to have a good um professor position uh track record behind me uh working not only in a in a full-time uh professor position as a, as a PhD, but also still having that, that one foot in the church world and doing events and, and helping people with my, uh, my apologetics ministry as well. So that can just get, get larger and, and the scale can be, can be larger, especially once you get that credential, uh, more worlds open up to you. So right now, if I wanted to publish a book, um, a scholarly book that that would be difficult to do just by myself. I would have to partner with a, with a doctor to do that. But once I am a doctor, um, it'll be easier to publish those kinds of books. And what's beautiful about that is once you get that academic book published, you can continue to version that into a variety of uh, popular works. And so then you're helping everybody. You're not just helping 
the academics are also helping uh, a lot, lots of other people in the popular world. Being that you're in the education space, and you know, I had previous guests on this show that some of them were in education, but in different levels and different spectrums. And you're going on a PhD level. So to ask you, do you think education is useful would be facetious, right? But in today's world, do you think that the, the learning platform is being utilized to its full, full capabilities to where the youth are currently? Hmm. I don't know if I know the answer to that question. I know that I love teaching in the classroom and teaching online is, is a beautiful thing that we have that technology. So I'm able to teach students in California and I've been able to do that for the past eight years. But I know that it's not the ideal, at least for me. I love that, that real time face to face. Uh, what was interesting to me is that I'd always try to offer a synchronous opportunity for my students and no one ever took me up on it. Like people who do online education this is pre-COVID, of course. Um, they took an online class because they don't really want synchronous communication. They, they want to do it on their terms. They want to fill in their, their discussion questions at midnight or whenever they want to be on there. Um, but I do make myself available, and sometimes I'll FaceTime people if they, they have a question about a, an assignment or something like that. So I think in this day and age, we're starting to find more and more uh, what can be done. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we're also finding out what is not as effective via computer-mediated communication um, in the same way that reading a Kindle book isn't for some strange reason you don't retain as much if you're reading on a screen versus paper. Um, and that's just a, a physical physiology thing of who we are as humans. And it just drives home that we're really, we're meant to be in, use a, use a big Christian theological term, incarnated or like physically with someone else. Um, there's just no substitute for that. This is great that you and I can do this, um, but no substitute for getting coffee with you, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. For the face-to-face is definitely something that's, and I'm a techie. Like, I love the world that we're in right now. But to your point, I mean, networking is, is something about being in front of someone. You're smelling the room, you're hearing the room, watching body language. It's not the same on, on a Zoom meeting, right? It's kind of like there's different principles and different rules being online, right? Um, so to add on to, the, to that, that original question, right? So thinking about, the 1930s, right? The Industrial Revolution and the school systems back then were essentially designed in a fashion for assembly lines, right? Taking that into a classroom, classrooms are essentially set up in the same similar fashion. But in today's world, we're more, to your point, hands-on, more intuitive. Do you think that that teaching method is still valid today? Well, I think especially in the space that I'm working in, um, you can have people from all walks of life and all different, um, all different backgrounds and educational backgrounds, even in the same room. So whereas, you know, in second grade, you basically have everybody who's the same age and, and they do kind of a cookie cutter thing. Generally speaking, now, of course, other schools are, are, are um, different, but generally speaking, you have that kind of setup. In the world that I work in, in the graduate education, you could have somebody who's straight out of college someone who's 24, 25 years old, uh, sitting next to someone who has a PhD in physics, and they just now decided they wanted to do uh, theological education. Um, I've been in a classroom with a judge. I've been in a classroom with someone who is uh, a biologist. And so we have people from uh, multiple generations all in the same class. We're all learning to read ancient Greek together so we can read the New Testament. 
Um, and so you see the beauty of that, actually, um, that you have different generations, people from all uh, walks of life and backgrounds together studying one thing. And it doesn't have to be a kind of cookie cutter. Okay, you're all 25 years old, so we all have to do this thing the same way. And then people can learn from each other, too, especially you have classes where we're talking about doing intercultural work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I can share some of my experience um, working overseas. Somebody else can do that. And maybe somebody who's never been overseas um, can learn from that as well. So there's, there's a lot of give and take there. Yeah, definitely. I could definitely visualize that. I mean, it, it makes sense in, in that environment to be like that. And to your point, the bouncing of ideas and different backgrounds can definitely be very fruitful, very fruitful. So you're saying you're learning to speak Greek. Do you speak multiple languages? Well, I'm Filipino, so I speak Filipino or Tagalog, and that's, uh, I'm bilingual, so I can do that. Um, in order to do the work that I'm doing, I have to be proficient in Koine Greek to read the New Testament in the original language. Um, I also had to pass a proficiency exam in German and French just so that I could do research. So that's not like I could just walk into a German coffee shop and order coffee. But um, if I'm looking at an academic journal, I, can, I should be able to, to find you know, a paragraph and say, OK, let me sit down with this thing and actually translate it because I probably need this right here. Um, and then Hebrew as well, because the Old Testament is written in Hebrew mostly. So those are the four languages that, that kind of touch my area, because as a, as a historian, I'm dealing with Jesus as a historical figure in the first century Palestine. And the whole Greco-Roman world, the Palestinian, you know, the Jewish culture that he's in and Second Temple Judaism. So all those things come into play in terms of uh, what influenced Jesus and then how he influenced uh, the Christian movement. I think you just opened up um, Pandora's box to, to explain like what really goes into being in the position that you're in. I mean, you're, you're hearing PhD, but what is that? But then now you're talking about the languages you're learning, right? So it's hard enough for somebody to learn a second language, right? Mm-hmm. And you're juggling essentially six languages, which is pretty impressive, definitely. So if I want to step into your shoes and I'm following your shadows and I want to follow your footsteps and, and I want to kind of be where you are, what words of wisdom would you give to someone like myself or someone that's younger that potentially wants to grow up to be like you or to be in your position? Well, on the, on the academic side, I would say be sure that this is something that you want to pursue for your life and that you won't get bored with it. So I'm doing my dissertation right now on the claims of Jesus, and um, that is something that I know I won't get bored with. But if you're, you choose a specialty, that's going to be you. Whatever you put after your PhD, if it's PhD in New Testament, that's going to be your bag. You're going to be known as that. I'm going to be known as the Jesus apologetics guy. Um, that's cool with me, and that's, that's actually what I want to do. But uh, really make sure that the subject, the subject matter that you specialize in is something that you will hold, not only will hold your interest, that you're fascinated with it, um, but also something that you can transfer to a popular level. So I didn't decide to do my dissertation on a textual variant in some Syriac translation of an Old Testament book uh, that very few people who aren't uh, specialists will care about. Um, I wanted to do one that's, that's more popularizable so I can go into churches and help people think about uh, Jesus from a historical perspective, whether they, they are Christian or not. So that's number one. And then number two, it doesn't hurt to ask. So when I went into my mentor's office and I just bold-faced asked him if he would be my mentor, that was a risk. But um, what could he have said? No, right? 
Um, so it doesn't hurt to ask. And then the third thing I would say is on the, on the, the business side, the entrepreneurial side, whether you are in this space or even if you're in a, uh, a non-religious space, think of serving your customers um, through the, the idea of the golden rule. You treat people like you want to be treated. Do unto, another, do unto others as you'd have them do to you. So instead of, it just brings your whole mindset away from, you know, if say so you're working at a plant, it's like, well, I, if I walk in here and I pull this lever, it makes money, right? Instead of thinking when I walk in here, what I'm doing is I'm helping to make this part that makes cars safer and families safer, makes the road safer. It helps society flourish. And so what we're doing as entrepreneurs should be to help our customers flourish, to find an actual problem they really have to really step in there and help them. Because if you don't make that product, if you don't help them, they're going to be saddled with whatever X, Y, and Z, and they're still going to have that problem. Maybe you can help them do something better so they have more time to be with their family, so they have more time to pursue their dreams. And so really think of it as business, as service. And I think you can't go wrong that way. Wow. Well, I think I, anything you said you can't go wrong with. Everything you said was, was 100% dead on, and I definitely appreciate you for you know, laying out that blueprint. Uh, so you have a lot of different platforms, right? So how can people get in contact with you? Facebook, Instagram, podcast, just list them off. Sure. My website is apologeticsguy.com. And my social media is Facebook is also apologeticsguy, Instagram, apologeticsguy. And then uh, Twitter is at apologeticsguy. The Table Podcast, we have uh, The Table. The Table Podcast, if you look at it on um, well, let's just go to, you know, you can edit this part if you want. You can get the table podcast at dts.edu slash the table. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, Podchaser, wherever you listen to podcasts. Cool, cool. So I got a couple of bonus questions for you, right? So if you could spend 24 hours a day with anyone, dead or alive, uninterrupted, who would it be and why? my wife <laughs> because I love her so much. Um, 24 hours a day, dead or alive. Yeah. I mean, I would say I have spent so much time with my wife and uh, she is really, really like, she compliments me so well, like the things I'm not good at. She does actually all of the like accounting and taxes and that whole SE business side of my, my apologetic work. She does all that. And so um, I'm just privileged to be able to, to live my life with her and have her walk, walk with me through this whole thing. I mean, wow. I mean, I, I think this is the part of the video that we're going to have to edit. That way, if she ever asks you to sleep on the couch, <laughs> you present her with this, <laughs> this 30 second clip. <laughs> oh, um, another question for you. What is your most significant achievement to date? Well, I've done a lot of things, and so it's difficult for me to think what my most significant one is. But one of the top ones for sure is just having the variety of income streams. Remember back to the story I was telling you where I was sitting in Sacramento with no job, and I was perusing all the how to get a job books and how to do well in the job interviews. And right next to that bookshelf was the entrepreneurial side, where after a while, the economy was really quite bad in Sacramento and I got tons of interviews, but I never got anything. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to hire myself and I'm going to build something. And it might not put all of, you know, what I need together, 
but maybe I can piece together a few things. And I remember this one book said, you could have five income streams and just make, you know, one fifth of what you need and it should be okay. And I'm like, well, yeah, right. Who can really do that? And as, as uh, things turned out, um, I've had a, I've had this mix for quite some time. And so I'm, I'm really, uh, I'm blessed and I'm proud of that, that, that that's, that's worked for us. I mean, yeah, I think definitely it's a, a great achievement in the entrepreneurial space. Cause a lot of times we're working on just one thing. And if you, not only have you mastered how to promote and market podcasts and, and to, to achieve funding and, and achieve to where you, your podcast is monetized, but you've also figured out how you can diversify your income and make it scalable and also have it to where some of it is probably even passive as well. Mm-hmm. So in the sense, that's why I was like, okay, this, you're a true definition of an entrepreneur, whether you know it or not. <laughs> well, thank you. Definitely. So this is the part of the podcast where, you know, I kind of turn the microphone over to my guests and, you know, if you have a question or two for me, go ahead and ask. Oh, wow. Well, how would you, how would you counsel somebody like me um, to balance the time that we spend on uh, the popular side, doing the social media, doing YouTube, all that with all the things that, um, you know, the academic side, um, so that's the first question. I have another one for you. So to juggle it. So you're, you're thinking about more so from the perspective of you have a podcast that's, I think the podcast, I mean, if you had to divide the podcast, I would probably think it's probably 40, 60, right? Currently to, of the diversification. But for you, and I think we had this conversation before, I would interject some more of publication because the publication goes back into the, not to say it's the thinking man's game, but in reality, that's what it is. So you're having a podcast that's more for the socially aware and then people that want more to hold on to, to have a physical book to write in, then I would kind of compliment what you're doing on the front end with a physical book so that it'll work together in unison. And mm-hmm. then we'll add you another revenue. It'll be number six. It'll be your sixth revenue stream as well. Mm-hmm. That's actually a good point because a book is the perfect hybrid between the academic side and the popular side. It's a book that you can find in Barnes & Noble. It's a book you can get on Amazon. And if it's a scholarly book, you can also version it down to, uh, to something that uh, is more popular. Yeah, so, and it gives yeah. you an opportunity to create series too. You can create one book, then you can create two books, three books. And, you know, I also like podcasters. And this is one thing that I really haven't seen podcasters do as much as they should in today's world in that market space is if you have a series of podcast episodes in a season, season one is season one, season two is season two, season three, is season three. If you backtrack, season one could easily be transcribed and converted into a book. Mm-hmm. Two into mm-hmm. a book, season three into a book. Now you have a collection of books that follow your closing of every single series. So you're you're automatically training your audience to say, okay, at the end of the season, we have a book of season one, right? And it's the highlights. It's not verbatim. It's the highlights. It's little details that you may not have the opportunity to discuss on the episode. It may have been, hey, I met this guy over here, and through meeting him, six degrees of separation, you're telling the story of how you got to even get to the interview. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's a resource in itself that people that love your podcast would easily want to gravitate to, and pick up this book. And then you you have long term longevity with that, right? If you're planning on doing five se- seasons, well, that's five books. Mm-hmm. So here's another question for you. I have my brand is Apologetics Guy. 
And I have spent the past 10 years building that brand. I also own my own domain name, MichaelDelRosario.com. And as as I begin to uh, write academic books and things, in the academic world, I will just be Mikhail Del Rosario. But is there a way to hybrid, to hybridize those two things? It used to be I promoted, I even have a logo, Apologetics Guy. But what I've been doing recently is converting, even though all my social media tags are the same, my handles are all the same, Apologetics Guy. On the website, it says, Mikhail Del Rosario, your Apologetics Guy. So I'm almost switching those two right now. Is there a time where you see that brand needing to go away? I would say never. I mean, once there's brand equity and it's easy to maintain, whether it's using software or personal assistance to kind of maintain that brand, I would not get rid of it. And then always the comparison that I always want people to understand is Steve Jobs, Apple, iTunes. They're all completely separate brands and they all have their own equity share in the bigger umbrella of Apple. Right. If you mm-hmm. want to look at more micro platforms, um, prime example would be um, Elon Musk. Elon Musk has done that version of branding multiple times. Right. He was more so the equity guy that came in and he did um, what was it, PayPal and all these other things to even get him to where he is right now. Then out of nowhere, he created Tesla. And in addition to Tesla, now he also has SpaceX. Mm-hmm. There's no overlap between finances, Tesla and spaceships. But well, I'm happy to hear you say that. Yeah, because I've worked real hard to, to build that brand. And so I don't really want it to go away. But um, there is a way, to, I suppose, to, to really link my name with that so that if people go out and hear me speak and they don't necessarily know Apologetics Guy, let's say from the, from the podcast, I don't say that brand name on the podcast, which is the school's podcast, but they, they know my name. As long as they search it, they're going to find Apologetics Guy. Yeah, you just cross-reference them. So, prime example, yeah. like my brand, my S.A. Grant brand, S.A. Mm-hmm. Grant, I look at S.A. Grant as the Steve Jobs of my Cerebral brand, but then mm-hmm. my Boston Cage is my iTunes. So, mm-hmm. and on Boston Cage, I'm using the S.A. Grant pen name. On my publication, I'm using the S.A. Grant pen name, and there's commonality and crossing over between all the brands. But if I'm talking about growth strategy, I'm going to send someone to my S.A. Grant. If I'm mm-hmm. talking about web development, marketing, graphic design, I'm going to send them to Cerebral 360. But I'm the commonality between all those different brands. Gotcha. Cool. Well, I definitely appreciate your time. I think this was definitely a very uh, insightful episode. And I think you, you, you gave a lot of things for people just to think about. And, and I think one of the, the great takeaways from this episode for me was not even realizing that in your particular niche, you had to learn so many languages to even be able to voice and understand and comprehend and give back that information. So I think that's definitely another one of your achievements, believe it or not. But I mean, to to understand six different languages is definitely a milestone in itself. Well, thank you. Well, it was definitely a pleasure and um, I hope to see more from you soon. Thanks so much, Chanel. I appreciate you having me on the show today. Definitely. It's a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Boss Uncaged. I hope you got some helpful insight and clarity to the diverse approach on your journey to becoming an Uncaged Trailblazer. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. If this podcast has helped you or you have any additional questions, reach out and let me know. Email me at ask at sagrant.com or drop me your thoughts via a call or text at 762 233 boss that's 762 
233-2677. I would love to hear from you. Remember, to become a boss in cage, you have to release your inner beast. S.A. Grant, signing off. Listeners of Boss on Cage are invited to download a free copy of our host, S.A. Grant's insightful ebook, Become an Uncaged Trailblazer. Learn how to release your primal success in 15 minutes a day. Download now at www.bossuncaged.com forward slash free book.